Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. My name is Greg McKinney. My wife and I uh, are the lead pastors here at Glory Church, and we lead it much like we lead our, fu- our family, our home, as a team. And so uh, she's a background woman, but uh, the, she, we call her the sailboat and our, and our staff. She keeps us going the right direction. And I need, any men in the room need to keep going in the right direction. You just praise God for our helpmate. And so uh, as we step into this, though, every year we pray for a vision, a word, a key phrase that will keep us going. Last year was the word breakthrough. And man, we saw it in families and in individuals and emotional breakthroughs. I mean, people, uh, addictions were overcome. I, I literally, to this, to this day, I, I stand with men and women who, who've kept, claimed freedom from last year's breakthrough. And so I'm excited this year. I gave you the rhythm, or the, the theme of rhythm, sorry, the theme of rhythm, and, and with that, we sort of stepped into this, how do we, in our modern world, decide to leave behind the fast-paced society, or even the slow-paced, or even uh, the, the monetary, uh, consumer-style society, and actually say, like, God, I want to go your pace. I want to be in your kingdom economy. I want to do it your way. I want to step into your rhythm. That, that from the beginning of time, there was a chorus, a song that you sang, uh, that you spoke. You spoke and the heavens were created. So, God, I want to get into that. Like, let me move into your ways. And so, we've called it rhythms, the year of rhythms, uh, the year of Sabbath, that, that on the seventh day, God rested, and the seventh day happened because one through six were in perfect order. And so, God, let us be a church that's in perfect order. That's been what this year is. God, let's be a church that's in perfect order. And so we've, we've looked at the year, and I'm sorry, those of you who've been with us, I'm going to say this every week so that you're with me. We looked at the year, and there's 12 months, and so we, we prayed about as a staff, what are 12 rhythms that we see in Scripture? And so we named them, and this month, you stepped in the last one uh, of the month. It has been the theme, the rhythm of breaking bread of breaking bread. And this, this idea of, of in the kingdom of God, it's not just a solidarity. It's not just an, an individuality that Jesus didn't. It's not this. It is this. And so breaking bread is a rhythm of the kingdom of God, and we've tackled it for the past three weeks, stepping in on week four today. Um, and, and I'll tell you, those of you who've missed it, it's up on the podcast. Uh, we sort of tackled and, and, and hopefully not in a, in a negative sense, but destroyed our, our modern concept of communion as this little cup and, and wafer and sit with the Lord on our own and make sure our heart is correct and then take it. We've, we've sort of said, okay, let's scrap all that and let's look at what the scriptures say. Because it's a lot more about this and the Lord than it is this and the Lord. That scripture says, if your heart is against the body of Christ, then pause, make that right. Or you might be doing eating the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. And so we said it on this. Two weeks ago, we talked about the bread. And, and I gave you this passage. Uh, if you remember that the bread was unleavened. I had little, uh, little props up here. One was really flappy bread. The other was, was nice uh, risen bread. One of you were like, I remember, 
you know, we're like, how many times are you going to flap that thing in the air? Um, and it started breaking, had flaky, all the things. But I told you, I opened up this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul talks about the difference between unleavened, the flat bread, and leavened, the risen bread. And he says, you are unleavened, right? The body of Christ is unleavened. And that passage says this, just to remind those of you. It's a do you not know that a little yeast, and we talked about this, yeast is not this sinful thing, but yeast changes the fundamental makeup of bread. And so Paul's literally saying, don't you know that a little bit of yeast changes the whole batch of dough? So in your life, in your church, in your community, clean out the old yeast, the things that are trying to transform the image of this, the things that are trying to change people's opinion or create uh, divisive looks or the thoughts uh, that that are are contrary. Take them out so that you may be a new batch because you're really unleavened. You're plain. You're simple. You're, you're, You're never to be staled. You remember we talked about the difference between leavened and unleavened. He says, for our Paschal Lamb, Christ, he's been sacrificed. So therefore, let us celebrate this festival, not with old yeast, the yeast of malice and evil, but with the unleavened yeast, the bread, the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, that there is this old way and a new way as we engage in the body of Christ. And then last week, we talked about the blood, the wine, Right? The imagery of when we meet together, we're not just to be this, this unleavened bread, but we're also to constantly remember, remind our hearts, be at the forefront of our brain that, that Jesus spoke, this is my bloody, my blood. And it's a new, my bloody, this is my blood, the new covenant. And it is for the forgiveness of sins. And we had talked all last week that every time you see and work through the cup, It is this constant reminder of the forgiveness of Christ, the new covenant, what you've been ushered in, not just individually, but ushered into collectively. In fact, he says, for the many, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. It's a covenant for many. If you remember Jeremiah, he says, and I will be, it's the new covenant talk, I will be their God and they will be my people in this new covenant. And so now we're ending this whole little series This whole series of breaking bread, and I want to give you the picture of the table. In fact, we've left this table up the whole week. You remember when when that first week I had uh, members of the staff and their, their spouses were up here, all centered around eating while I was talking, and I was over here eating this tiny little uh, cracker and little juice packet, and I was all by myself, and I I contrasted these two images. This there was a baby on the table. There was laughing. They were talking. They were sharing with one another. And then there was me by myself. Today, we are ending this, this idea of breaking bread with focusing on why the table? Why the table? In fact, Jesus was a mastermind of what he was doing. He did not just know you will always have bread in your life because bread is at every home and every place. It's the easiest thing to make. Not only will you have bread consistently, not only will you have wine consistently, it was more apparent, more part of their culture than water. He also knew you will not eat bread. It's culturally not normal in this context to eat bread or drink wine alone. He literally knew, like, and now in our day, you want to, you want to, you had a long day, you want to sip a glass of wine in a bathtub alone, that's our context, okay? Nix that. You would never drink wine 
and eat bread alone. So already he says, I want my body and I want my blood to symbolize something that demands for you to do it together. So everything we've talked about, to put it in correct context, it can only be remembered in the context of together. It's really cool. That Jesus knew, if you're going to actually engage in my supper, my supper is an endless table. My supper is an open table. My supper is a meal. And it's not a meal for you, but it's a meal for many. And so come, come, join. The context of breaking a bread is this table. And I love it. We're going to sit with it a little bit, uh, that it's communal. So I have this question for you. Um, it might seem random, but it's, 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 it's pointed. In your mind, in your opinion, what do you think the gospel is? Like if I were to ask you, what is the gospel? In fact, some of you are having to deal with this question as you like plan your, your meal. You see, those of you who are stepping in for the first time every month, we also have this challenge that we're telling our church to do. Last month, it was fasting. The fee, it was, that was the, the rhythm of fasting. This month, the challenge was to host a breaking bread meal at your home where you're, you're gathering in maybe a neighbor, maybe someone from across the room that sits over here and you typically sit comfortably over here and you are hosting a meal with people that you normally would not. You can bring some filler, buffer, comfort people, you know, like, please help me host this. But some of you are like, I've never had a conversation that goes to the gospel. Okay, so what would you define is the gospel? It's a big one to unpack. But if I were to like say, okay, just summarize it quickly, what would you say? Is it just like John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whomsoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life? Is it that God loves us is the gospel? Is it that Christ came to die for you, that you could have salvation? Is that the gospel? Like this is a real question. Like how do you, what is the good news? Is it just that, or is that a part of it? Like, this is really huge, because this is the thing that you're supposed to go and preach, right? This is, you're supposed to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you're supposed to proclaim the good news. What is it? The gospel. What is it? Is it that Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly, like I just said earlier? Is it that Jesus came to save us from sin or death? Is the gospel all about eternal life? This is huge. What is the gospel? You see, the gospel message that was central to Jesus' ministry is a little different than all the things that I just said. It encompasses it. That was the method in order to, per in order to perform the gospel, in order to do the gospel, Jesus died. In order to make the good news happen, he forgave our sins. In order to bring about the good news, he decided to die on, a, on, on the cross and resurrect. But the gospel, in order to save us, it did bring about the gospel, but salvation is not everything about the gospel. In fact, over and over and over, you'll see this in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this phrase, that Jesus, his mission was to proclaim or preach the good news of the kingdom of God. 
Like literally over and over, he says, I'm going to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. That to the disciples, he said, I need you to go out two by two and go to every surrounding town. And I want you to tell everyone about the good news of the kingdom. And I want you to heal diseases, uh, save, save those who are, are demon possessed, give them freedom, but proclaim the kingdom is near. Proclaim the kingdom is near. All Jesus' gospel was, was not about salvation. It was the kingdom. Now, salvation was necessary to bring in the kingdom, but the end-all be-all is not eternal life. The end-all be-all is his kingdom, making resident, making practical, real-life transformation on a broken world. The gospel is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life in his kingdom, the image of the kingdom. From the very beginning, God said, let us make man in his image, like in our image. And so in his image, he made us. He instilled a kingdom. And obviously sin broke that. And so we had to get through sin to fix it. But salvation, healing, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Uh, It may sound like semantics, like potato, potato, but trust me, it isn't. I, I can tell really quickly if a believer has a salvation mindset or a kingdom mindset. I can tell really quickly if a believer has a, a sin-defeated mindset, like that all the gospel is is, is, a, is a get out of hell free card, or all the gospel is is to pay my debt, or if the gospel is about the kingdom. I can tell really quickly, like, because that semantic isn't semantic. It begins to yield fruit. People who think that, that Jesus' life is to better my life are people who get the gospel completely wrong. Jesus's life was to build his kingdom. And now as a part of the kingdom, it's not my life or even bettering my life that this life is all about. It's his purpose, his way, his ministry, his economy, his lifestyle, his kingdom. It's really interesting Some of those who who think the Christian life is all about the relationship with God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, like my relationship with God is all that matters. Okay, but those are also the same people who keep struggling with fear and isolation and worry and abandonment. And it's really interesting. That is healed in the kingdom. And so it's really interesting. The gospel message is all about the kingdom of God that you are a part of and the glorious king that you follow. It's really cool, really powerful, but what Jesus is doing now is, is really beautiful. The kingdom paints a picture of God's establishment on earth that it's not just about saving souls from hell, but bringing the outcast into a home, a place, a mansion, right, with many rooms, he says, his kingdom. It's really cool because Jesus knew exactly what he was doing because um, when Paul says, whenever you eat of this, and whenever you eat of this, you proclaim his death until he comes. You know how he says that? Well, it's not just because you're eating the bread and drinking the cup. 
that you're proclaiming his death. But it's the fact that you're eating the bread and drinking the cup together that is proclaiming the full message of the kingdom. Like, I know you're like, what? That doesn't make sense. Because the gospel was not about God's body being given or his blood being shed for you. The gospel is that despite all odds, we could be at this table together. We have difference of opinions. We have different home lives, but we can stop everything to be together to break bread. That's the image of the gospel. In fact, if you want to like write this down, the gospel is communicated during breaking bread because God's kingdom, in that moment, it is actively coming together to remember. It's the very image, think of it, of people leaving behind their work day, their normal day, choosing to stop the individual flow, the push and pull of life, and say, I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to dine with you. I'm going to remember the same thing. We're going to be of the same mind. We're going to dwell on the same message. We're going to think of the same accord. We're going to have the same attitude of worship. We're going to be in the same intentionality. And we're going to be thinking about the same thing. We're going to have the same thing on our palate. We're going to be consuming the same thing. We're going to have dozens, thousands of other things going on in our life, but they're all for naught so that we can do the same thing. It's not just the bread and the wine that showcases the kingdom. It's also the very act that we are all doing it with one accord, with the same heart, the same focus, the same life. And then his message is proclaimed. Some of you still aren't getting how cool this is. Some of you still aren't understanding how difficult it is to get people in a room and to have the same mind. You're not understanding like how difficult it is to get everyone in a room and choose to have the same attitude. Choose to take on the same mind. Do you know what that's going to mean? You're going to have to abandon your personality and step into the attitude of Christ. And that's hard. In order to be the kingdom of God, you take away your palate, your personal bias, and you step into what the kingdom is doing. So maybe you want to be the outcast, be the silent one, but now the kingdom says shout with joy. You want to be the loner on the background, but now the kingdom says bring in the outcast and never be alone again. Like, it's just very different. Of one accord, the image of the kingdom is beautiful. And so Jesus then says, as often as you do it, plural, right? Paul's plural, that you is plural. As often as you do it, you, you proclaim his death until he comes back again. It's you. And what happens is so beautiful. In my, my opinion, like, when you decide to come to a church, knowing that your life is a messy, knowing that your week is struggling, but you decide to jump in on the praise of the Lord despite it all, get, get away from your opinions and you bring your whole heart in, man, something powerful happens, right? When scripture says mourn with those who mourn, Celebrate with those who celebrate. Like, sing praises with those who sing praises. That when we are in one accord, have you ever mourned with someone and felt comfort more than you ever experienced? Anyone? The the thing didn't change, 
My mom still died. But when I mourned with community, when I mourned with the kingdom of God, when we were of one mind, of one accord, his presence was felt. His healing was present. It's beautiful. It's when you're together, just another imagery, um, you begin realizing that people, some people didn't wash their feet. Some people haven't, you know, dealt with the sins that they were walking through. And so you yourself can decide to get up and wash their feet. It's when we live at the table together that you can see, oh, they didn't wash. I mean, look at my hands, right? Like, they're a little messy. We've been renovating a house. At the table, you're sitting right next to me. You can see the work of my hands. And now you know what I've been going through, right? Because at the table, you can see it. You're right next to me. See, what you get to be invited in at the table is something where your life is seen, is felt, is experienced. You're washing people's feet. Your feet are getting washed. And you're like, I'm out, I'm out. I don't want people touching my feet. But you're getting cared for, noticed, and you're getting to notice. That's the image of the kingdom. It's really beautiful. But I'm going to bring us a little bit inward. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, uh, it continued. The story continued. He didn't just give the, the, the Lord's Supper and then go hang on a cross. The, it just, the night is elongated. And John writes this beautiful chapter. I call it Precious Jesus Chapter. I don't know why. I just do. Uh, I, I took a class on John in college, and it was the way that I remembered it. Uh, chapter 17 is Precious Jesus Chapter. It is, it is in his time with the disciples, he's told them about a lot of things, the Holy Spirit coming, all of that. And now he's praying. And John gives us earsight. Like he gives us an, an understanding of the night that Jesus was dying, what he decided to pray for. And it's really cool. You'll see again, it's not about salvation, but you'll get to see what is on Jesus's heart as he's about to die. Are you ready? We're going to open up. It's John 17, starting at verse 11. Yes, and just so you guys know, there is a new alert on the back door over here. Uh, so it will let you know, ding, ding, if it is opened. Our kids' ministry is downstairs, so it helps just protect them. Uh, we love our kids. So verse 11 says, and now, and this is Jesus praying to the Father, I am no longer in the world. He knows I'm going to die. But they are in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. So protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. It's really interesting. The gospel message right now is already showcasing this one, this unified thing. Verse 12, when I was with them, I protected them in the name that you gave me. I guarded them and not one of them was lost except the one that was destined to be lost so that scripture might be fulfilled. Verse 13, but now I'm coming to you. And I speak these things in the world so that they may have joy and my joy may be complete in themselves. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Jesus says, I'm, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, 
just as I do not belong to the world. He's already painting this picture. There's an other world that we are a part of, that we are one in. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I now send them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in the truth. What he's literally saying, I'm going to myself die and become a punishment to to sin and death and resurrect, be sanctified so that they can be sanctified. Sound good? Verse 20, I ask not only on behalf of those, this is really cool, Jesus doesn't only care about the disciples who are with him right now, but now he's looking at Glory Church, circa 2024. I also ask on behalf of those who will believe through their word. So that all, all of them, may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. It's really cool. The world will believe that Jesus is the Son of God when they see us at the table. One. You one in the Father, Father one in you. It's really cool. That it's actually this that showcases Jesus, not just some of you are like, I just really want to love my coworkers. This is a rant, sorry. I really want to love my coworkers so that I can show them Jesus. Okay, but your coworkers aren't going to see Jesus through you until they also start seeing you interact with other believers in the way that you are bearing one another's burdens in the way that you are unified. And they're like, wow, I never, like the image of the gospel, the fullness of Jesus who fills all things in all ways is shown when the body acts together. When your coworkers start seeing that you went through a heartache and they wanted to run away and you ran to your people, you ran to the kingdom of God. They're not just hearing now that you talk to some entity in your room, but you talk to this entity with friends. And not only that, but you have an endless joy because of it, that there's something wallowing up, wellowing up in you that just is intangible to them, but at the same time, so practical. And they're like, how? You we share Jesus when we are one. It's really cool. He says, and then they will know that you sent me. Verse 22, the glory that you've given me, I've given them, and he's given us glory so that we may be one as he is one. Verse 23, he says, I and them and you and me, <laughs> that they may be completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He's repeated himself over and over. If you get this, he wants us to be one over and over and over. It's like he knew my kingdom will be displayed when they are one. Make them one. The world will believe in me when they see them one. Something happens when we are together. And I just like, honestly, breaking bread, if we're going to do this together this year as a rhythm, then you better believe that the world is going to hate you and that the lost will be found. Those are two really cool things that happen as we start living life in community together. You'll start getting persecuted together, but you'll start being victorious together. It's really cool. 
But there's this promise that is done together, and Jesus sort of alludes to it here, but he speaks it very clearly in Matthew 18, and this is where we're sitting today in Matthew chapter 18, because it's really cool, this, this, this focus of the together, and he gets really, really direct. I love this, uh, just a little plug for the Glory to Glories workshops that, that Brian has been teaching. If you've been with us, uh, the Glory to Glory workshops, they're really cool, going, going great into the gospel. Last week, uh, we talked about Jesus in there and learned the, the nature of Christ. And Brian said, Jesus, what con- like compelled people was how authoritative he was. That he didn't just say, I, in my opinion, or he didn't just say, I think this is true. He said, very truly, I tell you. Or this is a matter-of-fact statement, and this is one of them. All right, uh, verse 19 of chapter 18, Jesus says, truly I tell you, or very truly I tell you. Or maybe your translation says another thing, but it says, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. That there's something powerful that happens on earth when we are of one mind. That it will be done for you. And then that that verse that we like to quote, for if two or more are gathered, I am there among them. He's there in our midst. That word agree is to match. Uh, It actually means to be of the same cloth. Like that kind of imagery of, of you're not mixing together two things or an old and a new. They are both new. And they are both of the same cloth. They're in agreement with one another. And if you get this, like, it's not just that, like, God will hear you. Like, sometimes it, we, we, we think of prayer like God's just going to hear me. And it's also not that God will answer you. Because we, we have heard, you know, our, our parents sometimes tell us, well, you know, no's an answer too. Anyone ever met the people that are like that? You've been asking God the same thing, and they just, they, they tell you, well, you know, no is an answer too. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying that God will provide an answer. It will say that God will do it. It will be done. That whatever to agree on, have the same mindset on, have the same attitude, attitude, it will be done. It's a promise that's not going to cease. And it's like a direct promise from Jesus. Like, that's huge. Like, I don't, I don't think we believe that. But at the table, some crazy things can happen. In fact, if you want to make this note, this, this just be on the forefront of your mind. Table prayers are accomplished prayers. Like, some of you need, like... It's not like they are, will be answered prayers, as if God could say no. No. Scripture, this is a promise of the Lord. When you come together and of one heart, of one mind, of one attitude, and you pray over a subject, and you do so not in doubt, you remember James says, the doubter is like the wind tossing. But if you're of one accord, the promises the Father will do it. That is why the table is so huge. Because it's in the table that you get your heart of one accord. It's in this constant relationship back and forth that you become of one mind and your table prayers are accomplished prayers. Like that's crazy that he's saying that. 
And then he will be there. Now, this is really cool. It's, he says, for where two or more are gathered in my name. That word in means a, a marker of location, meaning I, I'm not just coming of, uh, for my own benefit, but I'm coming as a marker, uh, located. I'm in Christ. And in Christ, now he is the lead. And in him, in the lead, this is what his compassion, his heart is. Let's pray over it. And Christ says, I'm there with you. My presence is there. But it's not just talking about omnipresence. Like, I think this is a special presence of God. Like, I just want to tangibly make sense of this with you. God's everywhere. He's in the closet over there. He's over there in the corner. Like, God's everywhere. But when Scripture says, when two or more are gathered, I am in your midst, it, he's talking about the logos of the Lord, the spoken, commanding voice of the Father is present, right? Jesus is the word of God made flesh. When Jesus is there with us, it means that in the room, in the presence, is God's spoken authority. Meaning whatever is declared in that room of one heart, one mind, like it, reality-changing power. That's his promise. Because whenever Jesus enters a room, things shift. And his promise is, when you are there together, I'll be there. Not just my omnipresent presence, but the logos, the commanding authority voice, the one that shifts, the one that stops the sea, the one that the storm is going and instantly peace comes in. My presence. So again, this idea of agreeing, it's being of the same cloth. And if you want to write that down, being of the same cloth is having and choosing to have the same, that word compulsion. And some of you are like, what does that mean? The same baseline. The same underlying heartbeat. That it's when I am broken for the things that you're broken for. We are now deriving from the same thing. I, I love this quote. Okay, here's a quote from a commentary. And I just couldn't be as beautiful as this. So I'm just copying and pasting. He said, it, this is not merely union and prayer for the same thing. You're not just praying that the chiefs would win. It's not, you're not just praying for the same thing together. For that might be with jarring ideas of the thing that is desired. Does that make sense? It's not just praying that our church would grow. It's not just praying that things would happen because that may have differences of, of opinions of what that would mean. And there might be some ulterior motives in it, everything. So it's not just praying the same thing. But instead, it's a symphonious prayer. A prayer by kindred spirits, members of one family, servants of one Lord, constrained by the same love, fighting under one banner, cheered by the assurance of the same victory. It's a living and loving union whose voice in the divine ear is the sound of many waters. I want them to be one. So whatever they pray, you will do like the gates of hell cannot prevail against my church when they are one. Because whatever they speak, things will go. 
I just wrote some thoughts down. What if my prayers are not happening because they're actually at odds with the kingdom? They might be like for what I want, but they might be at odds with the kingdom. What if what I'm praying for is of a different cloth than the kingdom one that I've been given? What if my prayers are stifled because God has asked me to speak that conviction and out of shame or worry or my past fears, I keep it silent? And it has nothing to do, it's a good prayer. But you have not revealed your heart to another who can stand in agreement with you. Because really, again, it's about what will be healed as you expose yourself, just as much as getting that prayer answered. You hear me? I remember one time, I mean, the story of Autumn. You, you okay with me sharing the story of Autumn? Sweet, she gave me a thumbs up. I've learned to ask my wife. Uh, Autumn, when uh, our, our third baby was, was in the womb, we discovered that uh, there was a little bit of an error uh, in the way that the, the umbilical cord, the way that the things, the veins formed, and there was a large vein covering the opening of Kate's cervix. And the doctors didn't know whether that vein was connected to Autumn, the baby, or Kate, or somehow connected to both, both Kate and going to Autumn. And so it was so, I mean, it, it's I, Vesa Previa, is that what it's? Yes, it's what it's called. And you were put on bed rest very quickly because if the baby dropped, any pressure could rupture the vein and it could either kill the baby or kill mom. Instant bleeding, no, help, no way to help because it's an interior bleeding and it's gone. We found that out. She was put on bed rest and she felt from the Lord like assurance. She felt from the Lord that she was going to be the one that was going to die. Like she just felt it in her heart, this peace. I'm going to die. I'm not like scared. I'm not angry. My baby's going to live. I'm going to die. And so without even telling me for months, she held that and just started trying to get our house in order. Started trying to get our house in order. And I started realizing that just weighing on, something's weighing on her. And so I was like, Kate, what is going on? Like, what's happening? And she opened up like, I know it's me. Like, I, I just feel, and I'm not scared. Like, I just know it with all assurance. Like, he told me, I'm going to die. And I was like, no. Like, no. And then the will of God, I don't know how, sometimes when you're talking to someone and it's like, you're actually, God's talking to you. Anytime you ever do that, the will of God came so apparent through my mouth like, I, I'd have, I've clinged to these words. What if God's will, Kate, because it's not just singular, right? His will, his will has so many levels to it, so many angles. What if his will is actually for you to speak up and for the first time, let me lead you? Because we had struggled for a long time. What does it look like for our relationship regarding prayer, regarding together? What if, like, what if the will of God is actually for you to vulnerably tell me what he's spoken and then for us to be united in something? And so I said, like, what if God's will is for me to stand with you against death? And so I prayed that she would be healed. We're going to pray against this. 
that feeling didn't quickly go away. But I believe as the days went on, it lessened to the point where now we had a baby in our hands, my wife's hands, her living hands. You see, the God's will is not just for the thing that you've been holding in. And you know, like, you've just been hoping for it, hoping for it. His will is so layered that it's actually what will be healed, what was healed between Kate and I when she vulnerably shared it with me. Does that make sense? It's so crazy, God's will. Because you know that your pain goes deeper than God not, not believing you or God not answering you or God not hearing you. It's also that there's some tension between you and God's people. So many things can be healed as we are of one accord and one way. But it's beautiful. I'm just going to end it in this way because this is context, okay? Verse 18 happens, or verse 9, yeah, verse 18, no, verse 19 happens because verse 18's there. Wow, Greg. Verse 19 happens because verse 18 comes right before it. It gives it context. And so, like, backtrack with me, okay? He doesn't just say, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on something, he says it before that. Verse 18, truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loosen on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you, what two of you are agreeing on will happen. And so now this is not just random things that you're choosing to agree on. This is binding things that you're choosing to agree on. This is loosening things that you're choosing to petition the Lord for. And they will be done. Now this is huge. Because I don't think you realize the authority that we have in Jesus. And so this word binding, just to let you know, it means to tie together, to imprison, to force, to restrict, to put something under authority. That in the kingdom of God, it is so active that we are now actively against the work of the enemy. So when I say last week, and we're praying against violence in our city, we're not just like praying against violence. This is a binding prayer. That violence in the name of Jesus would be restricted that, that everything would come under the authority of Jesus. And there's lands, areas of our, of our city that have been under the dominion of the enemy, of his fear of addiction would be free. This is a binding prayer. That it's hard for me to pray alone because I'm not supposed to. But when we do it of one accord, anything we pray will happen. This is why it's so huge to pray binding prayers. To take the prayers, I mean, they can prohibit, they can thwart the work of the enemy. Table prayers can imprison the voice of accusation. Table prayers can force fear to leave. Table prayers can restrict the work of of Satan, of sin. Table prayers can make right injustice. Like, just question, what aren't we binding at the table that needs to be bound? What aren't we bound, binding? Not only that, but loosening prayers are at the table. The word loosen, if you want to write it down, it means to set free, to release from a current condition or circumstance. I believe I was loosening, Kate. Like, loosen, we, we're loosing, loosening from the current condition. It means to destroy, 
to ruin by tearing or breaking, to permit, to allow, or to put an end to. We're going to loosen this. Table prayers can set a captive free, can release people from their current situation. Table prayers can radically change the circumstances. Table prayers can heal. They can destroy. They can destroy strongholds. They can ruin the course of sin, of decay, of hatred. Table prayers can permit forgiveness. Some of you have not experienced the level of God's grace because you haven't shared your sins with another and watched as they tangibly said, you are forgiven. You are not that. It's because something happens when we are of one accord. A loosening occurs. A binding can happen. What binding work do you need to step in together? What loosening work? In fact, I know, uh, I think Dalton's serving, but can someone just remind, if you're a small group leader in the room, I want you to end your small group this week. And, and I mean, spend enough time for this. I mean this, all right? This is, this is, this is from the pulpit. <laughs> Actually ask, what can we be of one mind with? What can we bind tonight? What can we loosen? Two, two prayers. What can we all agree on? We're just binding. What can we all agree on that we're loosening? Take those definitions, talk through them, think through them, be of one mind, of one accord. Because the promise is that it will happen. That's what's happened in the, in the table. Like, that's the power of it. And so as we just like end, I want to invite the band up. We're going to take communion in a second, but I just like want to prep your heart for something. Sound good? I know I went a little over on my story time, but hopefully it was worth it. I want to invite some of you into the experience of the table that we're talking about. Your ability to say, this has been weighing on me for a while. I've had either conviction or I've been trying to pray for this for a while or I've been hoping for this for a while. But even when I ask someone to pray with me about it, I'm not praying. I've already lost belief. And so I'm just inviting them in, but I'm not there. Maybe today you can come to the table. We're going to have prayer team. Like, can you be aware during this time? Your friends here? What would it look like to already on a small way grab that two or more and say this is what's going on? Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.